Hey, thanks everybody for coming back for part two. Jeff is gonna let me give an awesome intro here. We're excited to be talking about hydrogen again today. Clean energy has been the focus and we found ourselves at the intersection of clean energy and climate, specifically CO2. And that's why we wanted to have this two-part series to really understand hydrogen, how it's produced and how it impacts both CO2 from a supply, uh, from you know reducing emissions and also the path forward, the all of the above approach for clean energy. Super excited to have Jessica and Roxana here today. Jessica represents Oxion Energy and Roxana, the United States Hydrogen Alliance. And these two women are well immersed into the space and they're going to help us with education today on really the second form of hydrogen production, which is electrolysis, and also some of the barriers to entry for hydrogen as a full uh, that's come about by some of these environmentalist groups. So appreciate you both joining. And I think it's gonna be most beneficial for our audience to understand what electrolysis looks like, how it, how it produces hydrogen. Jack last week at Biotech gave us a great overview on uh, SMR, which is the steam methane reforming to produce hydrogen, but we don't know a lot about electrolysis. Jessica, can you kind of give us a rundown? Sure, so I'm Jessica Elwell, the Chief Operating Officer at Oxion Energy. Uh, our company focuses on a technology suite capable of producing sustainable fuels. One of these technologies is solid oxide electrolysis. So this is a more emerging technology in the electrolysis market. Uh, we focus on water electrolysis for the production of uh, clean hydrogen. Uh, most of this is coupled with some sort of sustainable energy source like uh, renewable solar, wind. Uh, we also can couple with nuclear energy, uh, really focused on that green hydrogen production. Yeah, awesome, no, thanks for the overview. And how does electrolysis happen? What is taking place to produce the hydrogen? So in our electrolysis mode, we're looking at electrochemically splitting uh, oxygen off of the water molecule itself. So you feed water in at uh, high temperatures, so steam fed, and then the system itself operates around 800 degrees Celsius, a current supplied, and we electrochemically separate an oxygen off that then uh, rejoins with another oxygen forming O2 on the output, and then uh, the hydrogen is the other product stream. So yeah, so the, the value of, of electrolysis versus SMR is one's a little bit more efficient, one is, is much greener, if you will. You're using electricity instead of uh, natural gas or methane, and then you have a far more, far more, far less uh, output of CO2 on the backside of electrolysis, right? Right. Thanks, Jeff. Yeah, the the effect, the electrical efficiency of the solid oxide electrolyzer is is much higher than what we're seeing in already used technologies uh, that are more at a commercial scale. Uh, though solid oxide is reaching that uh, industrially relevant scale, uh, we also have the ability to do CO two utilization. So you can co-feed water and carbon dioxide into our system and produce precursors for sin fuels as well. So it's a, a versatile technology, uh, high electrical efficiencies. So when you're looking at operating costs, it's lower than what we're seeing in existing technologies. And that's where that uh, electrolyzer technology really shines. Yeah, and I think that kind of really feeds into the, uh, as, as Luke noted a minute ago, the all of the above philosophy, right? Like, you know, SMR works, and there's great utilizations of that, uh, but there's also electrolysis, and there's a whole lot of other things going on. And at the end of the day, it really feeds on the CO2 side that we're talking about, that finding 
more applications and utilizations. No matter what we do, we're always going to produce CO2, right? And uh, so, and you know, what can we do with that CO2? But so that kind of let's bring Roxanne into this conversation here. One of the things going on there, and tell us all about yourself and and, uh, and the Hydrogen Alliance. But one of the things going on here is there's people trying to block a lot of this technology for their own purposes, needs, whatever it is. What's going on there? What is additionality? What are you doing about it? And uh, you know, take it from there. Well, Jeff and Luke, thank you so much for inviting me on. It's so exciting to see both you, Jessica, and Jeff. Thank you for serving on our board. My name is Roxana Beck-Mohammedy. I know it's terrifying to say that last name, but it's not as hard. Um, I am the founder and executive director of the U.S. Hydrogen Alliance. We are an advocacy organization focused on um, ensuring that the hydrogen economy in the U.S. is built um, and cost-effectively, ideally. And so I want to take a step back because this is actually philosophical. I've spent my time the last almost 15 years in technology commercialization, um, a lot of it from a uh, policy perspective, um, you know, as a former regulator and as an advocate. But really, we have to really look at one thing that's really important. You know, I am an engineer and I've done systems engineering. Right now, we're just talking about different technology types, which is very myopic. And that is what's going on throughout the energy sector and beyond. Really, we need to always look at our energy system and, the, and its evolution from a systems uh, perspective. So when we're talking about electrolysis or we're talking about uh, steam methane reformation or other processes, it's important to understand that it depends on the feedstocks available, depends on the regional components. It's also all about the problems that we're trying to solve. So that is number one. We always have to look at context. Now, what's going on politically is that there, it's very convenient to take out context. It's very convenient to not be, you know, to rise above the noise and be true architects to truly serve the energy transition. So what we're seeing is that, um, especially from the environmental community, there's this very um, explicit effort at carving out realities that serve this greater narrative because unfortunately we walked away from sustainability and looking at things from an entire systems perspective or a closed loop um, and just going to just, uh, I would say at this point, an obsession with electrification. So what's occurring is that, you know, we've had environmentalists that are putting out reports about, you know, how terrible hydrogen is and its environmental signature versus looking at how it um, actually supports an entire decarbonization of our transportation and energy systems. So there has been a proposal of three pillars, and um, one of them is, is additionality, where if we were to put any hydrogen production online, that we would have to, the requirement would have to, um, the requirement is that any uh, that it would require any new electricity generation. So you would have to add electrical generation onto the grid. The other pillar is that where that hydrogen production does occur, it has to uh, be done uh, locally where that new energy generation wow. is occurring. On top of that, there's also a temporal piece that, you know, when there's curtailment, then you can actually uh, utilize that those electrons for hydrogen production. Now, Let's also talk about context. Where is this affecting us? Well, in uh, nine months, 
essentially we had the bipartisan infrastructure law signed into law end of 2020 uh 2021. And then within nine months, we had the IRA, which is the Inflation Reduction Act, uh, also get passed. And now uh, it's it's a massive incentive. So between those two, there's about nine and a half billion dollars in grants that came from the, the first uh, um, piece of legislation. The second piece, which is the IRA, we had another 13.5 in tax credits. So those tax credits are under attack right now um, because the IRS currently is developing guidance on how the hydrogen community can leverage those those uh, tax credits. So right now, what we're seeing is a complete stifling of the hydrogen industry uh, to essentially make sure that, I mean, to be frank, that it doesn't exist because that is not a desired solution by environmentalists, unfortunately. So hey, let me uh, let me jump in there. So I'm going to take it kind of back just a second, and, and uh, I'm going to I'm going to dumb it down to my level that I understand it. <laughs> The way I the way I like to see it or to look at this what idea that we're talking about additionality is you have environmentalists that are saying hydrogen's bad. Hydrogen in its purest form is great. We kind of believe in it, but you know we're, they're not allowing that bridge to get there, right? Like we can't just go from where we are today to 100% green hydrogen. And by by green hydrogen, what basically what what I hear you say is it must 100% come from wind or solar power generated power. If it does not, then you can't make that hydrogen through this electrolysis, through steam methane reforming, anything like that. It must produce no CO2. It must be all brand new construction, uh, you know, in order to do it. And if you're not generating wind or solar power on that grid, then you can't be producing hydrogen at that same time. It's really, though, what I hear it and see it to believe is, it, it's the environmentalist trying to kill off hydrogen as the next energy transition pillar before it ever comes to fruition. And and we've allocated the, through the federal government, the IRA and, and uh, the Build Back Better Act, a tremendous amount, like upwards of $25 billion of taxes, tax credits and, and funding for these initiatives to get hydrogen to be uh, an energy resource for us into the future. And it's, it's almost dead in its tracks right now based on this. And it's really... Because we think wind and solar is the only answer. There are people out there that kind of believe that. And so we've got to kind of put a stop to this if we believe in hydrogen. So the ultimate question is, do we believe in hydrogen? I mean, I, I think part of the issue that we're seeing from our understanding of what's rolling out with additionality is that it looks like it focuses primarily on right green hydrogen deployment uh, via water electrolysis. So we're looking at some disregarding of renewable and nuclear curtailment. We see that there are opportunities to roll out demonstration projects on existing facilities. The overall idea has merit that, right, like we, if we're going to use electricity to make new fuels, we have to have sustainable electricity. Uh, I understand that part. I do believe in hydrogen. I do believe there is an economy here uh, just the basics of, of how hydrogen burns and what that all looks like. Uh, we need to responsibly develop these programs. And some of this is looking at well, we, we have wasted opportunity. We have wasted opportunity in nuclear. We have wasted opportunity in existing solar, where especially our technology is capable of doing what's called load following. So when they have peak electricity production that is above what the grid can use, then you have waste because they don't have efficient storage methods. We have the ability, right, to turn that electricity into hydrogen or into, for us, into other sustainable fuels where you can store that for later use. Um, looking at how this rolls out, if you 
pin this to only new power plant developments, you have made the barrier to project very, very high. Because you're not only looking at the technology costs, now you're looking at, okay, well, in order to run this technology project, we have to have an entire power plant associated with it, which is, is a giant barrier, a giant barrier to be able to do this. So I do, I do believe in hydrogen. We have some fantastic projects, but right now we're focused on microgrid applications because we don't have these types of barriers there. Um, but that's not, I mean, that's great for microgrids. There's, there's definitely an application for that. But when we're looking at a really meaningful, impactful solution, we need to be looking at an industrial scale for this. And I guess I'm a bit confused. I, no, I just, you know, understanding that the IRA is written to incentivize hydrogen production. We have in front of us somebody who is leading the push for new technologies in hydrogen, but yet the environmentalists bringing forward additionality, they are congressional members. I mean, it just seems counterproductive. So is the additionality just white noise or is there some traction behind it? I, I guess, how can you incentivize on one end and then the same party be putting these barriers that make it near impossible? <laughs> I'm going to punt that to Rox. I'm not very funny, but I appreciate the laugh. I mean, you have, have an opinion on this, Rox? <laughs> you have an opinion? I, did I tee it up for you? That's good moderating right there. How do you feel? <laughs> um, yes. Um, so look, again, this is politics, right? And what we're seeing is a huge disconnect, which is actually quite problematic with even our advocacy. So we have been an afterthought with respect to the environmentalists. They didn't think we'd get this far. Um, essentially, they're, the only acknowledgement that they're they're giving us is that yes you know what hydrogen can be great for decarbonizing um ocean going vessels potentially aviation potentially rail but that's as far as they they allow us to operate right um otherwise they're just like everything can be done with uh batteries and electrification which is again very blindsided so what occurred is that this current administration so the biden administration I would say has done a good job at looking at things from a, a wide perspective and understanding redundancy is important, that we need our grid and all of our energy assets to be on at all times, reliable and uh, interconnected and, and synergistic. What has occurred is that there's obviously environmental lobbies. Environmental lobbies, I mean, at the end of the day, they are certainly very successful especially with Democrats, and also they are successful in having a pretty strong grassroots lobby. So we definitely see the swing of priorities with an administration transitioning into potentially a new administration. What we're seeing right now is kind of a almost a 180 because of the pressure from environmentalists actually coming together and creating an even bigger coalition. So I would say, and we would, I, I would tell you, um, both sides would argue that we are uh, making false claims. I would say that they are being myopic. They would say that, you know, I'm supporting the sturdy industry. 98% of the hydrogen produced, you know, is, is coming from fossil fuel, but they're not acknowledging that a lot of this is coming 
to um, it's being utilized for for nitrogen fertilizer that feeds 80% of the world. It's also largely going to refineries to remove sulfur. This is why we haven't had acid rain in decades. So I understand that there's a feedstock issue, but it doesn't mean that we can utilize biogenic resources. So that again goes back to us walking away from sustainability, us asking, wait, what are we doing with all of our waste? How are we diverting it? How can we leverage it? And then also on top of that, we are walking away from geothermal, from nuclear, from hydropower, all these beautiful assets that A, we've already developed the infrastructure into, in most respects, I would call uh, renewable. And on top of that, provides uh, that baseload power that's so critical. So, I mean, really, I think that this is actually indicative of uh, a general ideological crisis with how we're going to uh, essentially architect our future energy landscape. And people don't understand that it is a mosaic. And that is the short-sightedness that we will actually inevitably face the consequences of just like Europe has. And I think that is also why we're seeing some of the maybe rethinking, especially by the federal administration, because we intimately know what has happened because of, unfortunately, the war with Ukraine and Russia. Yeah, I, I, uh, I don't know. I think to me, it's like the hypocrisy of saying, you know, hydrogen must be this green and everything else. That would be the equivalent in my head of saying we could have electric vehicles, but they could only be charged with wind and solar power only. only and that doesn't time. happen. That doesn't happen. Wind and solar are non-dispatchable. So without right. an energy storage solution, using wind and solar to electrify battery electric vehicles, heat pumps, other similar technologies, you, you don't have that solution. You have to have a long-term storage solution. And hydrogen has the ability to bridge that gap. So, so how do we kind of break this stalemate here? How do we, I mean, it's not, I don't know if it's a stalemate, I don't know if it's gaining traction, but I know there's, you know, uh, you know a fair amount of uh, state level uh, legislators and, and maybe some federal that have uh, signed on to this this uh, additionality legislation or, or supportive of it. How do, how do we stop that? How do we get out in front of this and, and explain in the way we're talking about it here, get that message that we've got to go through the stages to get hydrogen to to kind of evolve to the point where it can absolutely get there because we all know it can, but it can't get there without going through its growth stages to get there. So how do we, how do we get that message out? Yeah. So that's good. You want me to go for it? Cause I got that. Yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah. Uh, Here's I mean, three bullet points. One of the three things yeah. you do right now or are doing right now. Look, so um, there, there are a couple of things, but I think again, I'm always trying to uh, take a step back. Uh, look, we have to acknowledge our human tendencies. So yes, that hypocrisy um, uh, reigns uh, pretty heavily. Um, you know, our ideological biases are also playing a significant role, um, sometimes even our self-righteousness. And I think we have to go back again once one step and say, you know what, I personally, I may represent hydrogen, but I was always an environmental since I was 15 and have been a steward for this realm. And I, I will ask you all, you know, where your heart lies in this front, because all of us are making vital contributions to lowering emissions. 
That's number one. We have to acknowledge the human aspect of this all. And that's what we have to continue to remind people of is our intention as an industry. Two, we need to actually broaden the 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 our coalition. This isn't just about hygiene. When we start like talking about, you know, us in this again, like in our silo, that's what they're attacking. They're attacking hydrogen. But if they're but they but implicitly they are attacking the whole um uh ability for the US to really have a reliable energy system. So we need to partner with those outside of hydrogen to elevate the messaging. Three, of course, education is absolutely key, but let me tell you, there's also politics. There's also campaign contributions. There's also pressure because, you know, you'll have environmental groups give legislators Fs on their on their annual report. Those are all actual, um, um, uh, let's call it three pillars, to really affecting the outcome of our success. All of those three aspects takes a lot of time. And so to to me, it's either, you know, I think we simultaneously have to fight very aggressively, but also work on those three other components in order to have um, hopefully a harmonious future. I mean, maybe that's a little idealistic, but definitely a better future than what we're what we're allowing to be created right now. So we have messaging Oh, please, Jessica. Yeah, I can I can add from a technology developer standpoint, right? Like Oxion is definitely in technology development and manufacturing. What we're looking at is targeted projects that help support why it is so important to do these projects with existing resources, right? Projects where we're highlighting the capability of solid oxide electrolysis to do load following. What we can use this product for how we can supplement what's already happening in existing facilities where we are not utilizing them to their full capacity. We are not capable of storing all of the electricity that they are capable of supplying. So we're looking at targeted programs where we can say, look, like, here's the data, right? And God we trust, all others bring data. Here's the data that supports that we have to utilize what already exists. And that in not doing so, in, in requiring that it goes on a new build, that's actually a wasteful approach. That's actually kind of undermining the overall intent of what we're doing when we say, well, we can't use what's already there because we don't want to overburden the grid. Well, okay, well, we're adding to the grid. We're, we're providing a storage solution. I think those types of things where we're, we're actually showing the real world application, showing that ability for what we know thermodynamically we can do, making it something that the general public's like, oh, but that's real. That's not just like a textbook thing that they're reading to me. I think that's a really important yeah, thing that developers need. Uh, really well, because I was just about to ask you that. Like, so I think we've got the, the breadth of what additionality is and, and what people are trying to accomplish uh, by stopping hydrogen. You know, Oxion does amazing things. So what are those? Like, tell us, like, what are we, what can we accomplish? I know you don't just do just hydrogen, but, you know, in the hydrogen world, what are we, what are we lacking? What are we missing out on if we don't have hydrogen? What are you guys working on these days? I mean, there's, it's, uh, Oxion is probably the most fun place I've ever worked as far as technology development goes. We're really focused on technology solutions for energy problems that are beyond what we imagined we could solve before. Uh, I mean, for instance, 
we have projects with NASA where we are developing energy solutions off the surface of Earth. So we're able to make fuel on other planets, on the moon, right? We have a system running on the Mars Perseverance rover right now that's making oxygen from the Mars atmosphere, carbon dioxide. So if you wanna talk about carbon dioxide utilization, Jeff, I, I got you. I got you on that one. Uh, we, we also- gotta, We gotta go to Mars now, is what you're saying. Yeah, I got, I got we can do it. I got Mars methane on Mars, I can, I can do this. Uh, nobody, likes, nobody likes me on this planet. I might as well go somewhere else. <laughs> but I mean, we're, we have a project that just finished like relevant environment uh, testing where we're looking at making liquid hydrogen and liquid oxygen on the moon. Like if you can build solutions that are capable of solving energy problems for places that don't have a grid, right? Like let's bring those solutions home and adapt them into solutions where we're capable of doing CO2 and water to fuels, water to hydrogen, CO2 to, right? If you run this through our systems, we can do CO2 utilization from whatever source you have. Uh, and we can take that all the way to liquid transportation fuels, sustainable aviation fuel, diesel, like you, you name it. There's, there's a realm of possibility here that is getting locked down because we don't have access to the electricity. And that's really like, we're handicapping technology development that will change our energy solutions in the future by locking down where we can get our electricity from. Like it's, it, to me, that's like a really interesting discussion to have where yeah, yeah. we know we can do this. We just need but to get to a scale where we can do cost reduction so that it is meaningful on an industrial scale. Maybe it's because we have less humans on Mars, but aside from that... There's less voting. I know yeah, that. Yeah, that's true. There's no, there's no president there. But there's no president I, of Mars. But I, but I will say one thing that was really critical that Jessica said is that I always encourage our members, which you, you guys personally know, to continue building out your projects and showing the value of hydrogen as we simultaneously deal with the political hurdles that we're facing. Because at the end of the day, the results will speak for themselves. You know, so I, it's it's definitely for us nerds over here. There's it's a it's a very critical feedback loop cir uh, circle that's important. So why? And my last question, I'm thinking about to what Roxana opened with, saying, you know, we're we're kind of cherry picking, or we're looking at uh, this this whole scope is it's not the benefits of electrolysis, but the negatives of using energy, if not from wind solar. Did battery not deal with this? Did electric uh, did, did electric vehicles not deal with the same scrutiny or, or did they overcome that hurdle? I mean, because we all know that, sure, it's great to have an electric vehicle, but full picture, there are the same problems. Uh, had to get through that on the technology curve and still are. And I imagine, Jessica, you're dealing with a lot of that. Is it similar scrutinies? Did they not face the scrutinies? Was it more of a popularized... Um, energy source, why is that? I, I mean, and this is opinion. I'm in a state opinion, and I don't even know if I'm speaking on behalf of Oxion at this time, but I probably am. Um, but when, when we look at what happened is those emerging technologies were a lot earlier in this phase. So when we started talking about water electrolysis in a very serious way, or when we started talking about fuel cell vehicles, right, hydrogen fuel cell vehicles in a serious way, Battery, battery electric vehicles already existed. And now we're looking at, oh, right, like things are getting progressively worse as far as energy uh, availability goes. And so now I think the scrutiny is not so much, I, I, don't, 
I don't know politically that it was like, oh, well, this one's good and this one's bad, so let's let this one have an easy way. I think it's the timeline of the solutions coming through and what is happening to our grid as we progress through time. Well, and Jeff noted that, you know, you don't have to charge your vehicle with wind and solar, but I do believe California rolled out a law or is attempting to that says you cannot charge your electric vehicle during peak. And so, I mean, I guess that is kind of an attempt to proactively addressing it because they didn't think maybe they didn't think of it before. And I think that's the the short sighted argument of, of these groups that are kind of fighting this is you're, you're generating electricity that's already on our grid to then produce the hydrogen to generate electricity. So you're using electricity to create that now other energy source, which that is a fair argument in a very short window. But until we can adapt to hydrogen and find new sources and find new ways to produce it and use it, hydrogen is the energy source. So we don't have to go produce energy to get it, but we have to get the bridge that gets us there. And so, and you know, like they always say in politics, follow the money. Uh, you know, a lot of the IRA and, and uh, uh, Build Back Better and some of the infrastructure laws are geared towards battery electric vehicles. You know, so but even though you can use hydrogen to generate the electricity to power those batteries in the long term, once we get there with fuel cells and things like that, I you know, I, I don't know why people would put this argument up. Uh, other than being really, really short-sighted is the only way I can see it. So, yeah, and I appreciate both of you coming on and kind of giving us the the long-sighted. 30,000 foot view. I think very helpful. You both spoke to that well. Uh, really, you know, we need to educate people. That's why we come and talk on this podcast about CO2 and, and now about clean energy and that transition and, um, you know, the all of the above approach. So ladies, thank you so much. Any closing thoughts, anything you want the people to know yeah, before we sign up? Where, where, where do we find you, people that want to learn more about additionality and support the cause? Absolutely. You can find us on www.ushydrogenalliance.org. Uh, you can also check us out on our LinkedIn page. I also just want to close with one important piece that I have to remind legislators and just the general public in general, which is the fact that, you know, we have grown up with electricity. We are wholly dependent on electricity. We are wholly dependent on the batteries that um, power devices. It's familiar. We've touched them. We've felt them. We've known them since childhood. There's a big difference between that and hydrogen. And we don't know our deep relationship with hydrogen. I mean, the minute that there was that big bang, I mean, the universe was 99% composed of hydrogen. You know, that's how we actually have, you know, sunlight is through fusion. You know, that is how, again, like we feed the the majority of our population. It's why we don't have acid rain. It's what took us to the moon in the first place. It's been playing a role in the industrial sector. So we don't have that intimacy with it. But to say that we're not familiar with it, if it's not that it's not affecting our lives is false. So right now it's really having the public get familiar with hydrogen playing a role in their lives just like so many other things that they're unaware of because they're just retail consumers that are just living their lives and, and trying to make the best of it. I, I mean, I think it's critical that technology developers share the information on what problems we're solving. I think the value proposition is a little muddled and everybody's kind of addressing it a different way because it's an emerging market. And I think we really need to focus on what the benefits are because once, right, one solution wins, the others get to follow. Like we need to do this push. We need to share information. I think that's where we've been struggling. But thank you guys. This has been good discussion. 
Yeah, we call it an energy transition, not an energy swap. Step. You know, yeah. We have to get there, and it doesn't happen overnight. So awesome. Appreciate it, ladies. Yeah. So for everybody back home, go out and hug a hydrogen atom today. Really. You're full of them. You're full of them. <laughs> oh, wow. I thought it was just full of hot gas. So, well, hey, ladies, thank you so much. Now, we appreciate the time today, and, and you're both doing awesome things. Uh, and we look forward to seeing uh, how you continue to push forward and, and continue to be pioneers for this industry.